welcome to the Connection Church Dublin Sermon Podcast. Our mission is to connect people to a growing relationship with Jesus. One of the ways we do that is through the preaching of God's Word, centered on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's this week's message. All right, what's going on everybody? How y'all doing today? Good, good. Well, my name is A.J. Wright, and I have the pleasure of serving as a youth, the college, and the missions pastor here at Connection Church Dublin. And everything we do here at Connection Church is literally centered around connecting people to a growing relationship with Jesus. And man, can we just celebrate the baptisms again? I mean, it it never ceases to amaze me, the stories of the people that hit that water, man. And at 9 o'clock, we had to get baptized, and then, man, to see those people hitting that water, man, God is truly doing something amazing in the life of our church and, and even in this community. Um, another celebration I got to have, this past week in Connection College, we had a guest speaker named Jacob Lord come in and lay it down. You hear me? Let me tell you something. Jacob's one of those boys that's been radically saved, and when he got saved, when he hit, the, when he hit that ground, he hit the ground running because he wanted everybody to know this good news that he found, right? And that shouldn't just be for people who are radically saved. That should just be for people who are Christians, right? Because if this is truly good news, then everybody needs to hear about it. I need to go tell somebody, all right? Well, he came to our, our college meeting on Wednesday night and gave his testimony, shared the gospel. Needless to say, we had three people come into the kingdom. Can we celebrate? <laughs> well, moving on back into the series now. As you see, we're in a series. We've been walking through the book of Romans, and we've been here for the past 12 weeks. And man, what a series did ha- this has been. Because the book of Romans is one of those books where I believe every Christian needs to read this book at least once a month. This book has been literally behind every great Christian awakening that's happened throughout church history. This book has been driving the driving source behind it. Romans is the most clearest, in-depth look at the gospel in all of Scripture. And in the book of Romans, Paul lays out why the gospel alone is the answer to all of humanity's problems. I was at a baseball practice last week with our five and six-year-old t-ball team and I asked I always do devotion with them once a week and I was asking the kids like who is Jesus and the kids said the gospel so all right that's a good start all right how do we get to heaven they says the gospel I was like good and every time I gave them a question they kept responding with the gospel and I was like you know what it is, is what it is the gospel is truly the answer to all of humanity's problems what I came back to so last week, if you was here and you missed the, the sermon, we was in Romans chapter 6, the very first part. And if you missed it, I kind of want you to go back and watch that sermon because it's kind of like the, this is like the part two to his part, this first part sermon. With that being said, Buck answered a question that I thought was very pivotal that we need to do a recap on. And the question of the, the message of the title, the title of the message was called, What Do I Do With Sin? All right. And in that, he did a good job explaining what sin is. And what he said sin was, was missing the mark of perfection. And more deeper than that, it was missing the mark of perfection of the holiness of God. You know, sin is more than doing bad things. Sin is more than, than, than all those things like that. Sin is who you are by nature. You are by nature not perfect. So you are by nature deserving of God's wrath. That's what makes the gospel good news, right? And then he said, Paul went up to show that the gospel alone is the answer to our issues, but the issue is how are we made right before God? We're not made right before God by our own abilities. We're not made right before God by our ability to live a certain way. It was only by the birth, death, death, and resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, go ahead and flip to Romans 6, and let's read verses 15 through 23. 15 through 23. I'll give you a second to get there. 
Verse 15 says, What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern or teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves of righteousness. But I'm using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness that's leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness, but what benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Everybody let us pray together. Jesus, we thank you. God, we praise you. God, we honor you in this moment, God. God, I pray today that you would do something miraculous in this time in the hearts of the people that are sitting in these seats, God. We pray, God, that you would anoint the ground this church sits on right now, Father God. God, that when your word goes forth, God, I pray it goes forth with power, God, and I pray it pierces the very hearts of those that hear it, Father God. God, I've seen what you've done this week with me as I was preaching your word, God. This word has been hard this week, God. But God, I pray, God, that I'll be able to communicate it in a way that's glorifying to you, God. And I pray against any distraction that will be in this room, God. God, I pray it will flee in the name of Jesus, God. God, I pray that you come in this place, God, and that you just, God, just do what you want to do in this place. Holy Spirit, give us peace, God. Holy Spirit, rest in this place. And God, I pray specifically that you illuminate the words of this passage in the hearts of the receiver that's hearing it, Father God. And I ask that you just use me as your servant. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Every sermon I preach starts off with a, what I call a main focus. And the main focus of this sermon today is this right here. There is no way to walk like Jesus without Jesus. Hear it again. There is no way to walk like Jesus without Jesus. There is freedom found in your obedience to Christ. And we must realize is that there is going to be consequences to serving our sin. All right? You can't have God and have your sin. There's going to be consequences to serving your sin. So today we're going to start off with a little bit of U.S. history. I, I hated U.S. history growing up. It was part of my worst class I hated going to. But back in January of 1863, President Abraham Lincoln issued a very famous Emancipation Proclamation. If you've been in any type of history class, you know that with this proclamation, he freed slaves throughout the Confederacy. But even two years later... There were still certain places where this announcement was kept a secret, all right? Where there were still African Americans who were declared free, but they were still living as though they were slaves and acting like they were slaves. But then particularly in Texas, there were, the secret never, I mean, the, the, the message never got out. So with that being said, then came a date called June 19th, 1865, two years after the Emancipation Proclamation. On June 19, 1865, Union troops went into Texas and they freed the African-Americans across Texas and truly the African-Americans were declared free. But when I look at this example, because I believe that we can look at U.S. history and, and, and we can still learn that there is still slavery going on in the world today. Some physical, but mostly spiritual. Many Christians are enslaved to sin. All right? 
And many Christians are completely naive that they're enslaved to their sin. Still living in sinful situations, still engaging in sinful behaviors, but yet saying we proclaim the name of Jesus. How can that be? The Bible says a spring can't produce salt and fresh water. How can that be, right? Just think how foolish it is to be set free from something, but yet still be enslaved to it and still live in it. How can we as Christians say yes to Jesus, but yet keep saying yes to habitual sin in our lives? Paul in Romans 6 is about to blow this area or this mode of thinking out the water, because let's be honest, we're all slaves to something in this room. There is no middle path, as Buddhists would say, as the Buddha would say. They're not looking for the right path or the wrong path. They're just finding that middle path. There is no middle path in a Christian life. You're either serving God or you're serving Satan. There's no in between. All right? We must get on board with following Jesus. So my very first point of this sermon today is that it's this simple. We must choose our master. <laughs> Here it again. Number one says we must choose our master. So let's dive into it. Verse 15 says, what then shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey. Whether you are slaves to sin which leads to death or to obedience which leads to righteousness. So what is Paul saying here? Because what, the, what I love to talk about is that this book is not written to non-Christians. This book is actually written to, to believers. So Paul right now is addressing believers in the church. And as he's addressing them, he is anticipating the questions that are coming up in their mind and go ahead and answering that question for them. So what is Paul showing the Christians? He's showing them that you are going to have a choice. You have a choice to either be a slave to your sin, which leads to death, or be a slave to Christ. And now something that, that I believe needs to be addressed in this moment is that God chooses us. The Bible says before the foundations of the earth that he knew us. He formed us in our mother's womb. The Bible tells us that. Ephesians 2.10 tells us that we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works. So we are chosen. And he is primarily responsible for our salvation. The Bible also says he is the alpha and the omega. He's the beginning and the end. If he started something, he's going to finish it. God is primarily responsible for your salvation. But with that being said, we still have a choice, and that choice is to come and die. The Christian life is super, super simple. It's a choice to come and die. There are many people who find their life when they laid it down at the altar, right? There are many songs written about that. We have to come and die. We have to die to our flesh. We have to die to our sin, die to our plans, our own desires, and we have to live for the kingdom of God. So listen to me, Connection Church. Everyone in here, you will serve somebody. You're never on the fence in your salvation. You're either on one side or the other. And if you're on the fence, guess who you serve? You're serving Satan as well. An example I use in youth all the time is that there was a kid sitting on the fence one day. And one day as this kid's sitting on the fence, Jesus comes to the kid and says, Hey, man, I want you to get off this fence. I want you to come and follow me. And the kid crosses his leg and says, You know what? I'm going to stay right here on this fence. A little while later, Satan comes up to the kid and says, Hey, I want you to get off that fence and follow me. And the kid says, No, you don't understand. I'm, I'm fine sitting on this fence. A little while later, Satan comes back and says, hey, man, get off that fence. You're coming with me. And the guy says, no, I'm standing on the fence. And he says, what you don't understand is that fence belongs to me. Choose this day, Connection Church, who we are going to serve. Man, I'm, I, I'm telling you, man, the sobering truth is here is that there are many Christians that are still living as slaves to their sin. Still offering their bodies to their sin. Following its desires and its, its wants and desires. And there are Christians that I feel, what I call, my, my college kids would know this, I feel like there are so many Christians that are making deals with the devil. 
Because you make deals with the devil because you don't believe that. Whatever circumstance you're in, you don't believe God can rescue you from it. So you begin to listen to the whispers of Satan and make deals with the devil. Because your wife ain't giving you what you want at home, I need to go seek it for somebody else. Because I need peace, I need to put my faith in this drink instead of putting it in Jesus Christ or this drug or pornography or whatever it is. You may continue to dive deeper and deeper in these things, making deals with the devil. But I'm telling you right now, will you tell the devil no deal and tell the devil I made a deal is with a guy named Jesus Christ? Tell the devil no deal. But with that being said, why are there still so many Christians playing with their sin? I call almost like petting their sin. Think about a cat. I can't stand cats. I'll, I'll say some bad things. I don't like cats. I'm allergic to them. I just don't like cats. And I see people with cat owners, they just let the cat sit in their lap and they just sit there and stroke the cat. But I feel like the way they stroke that cat, the way a lot of Christians stroke their sin. Man, I just did a quick Google research about people getting killed by animals. And I ain't going to lie to you, there's a lot of white folks that's been killed by exotic pets. <laughs> I feel freedom to say that because I have a white wife, so I can say that. With that being said, there are a lot of people that get killed by exotic pets. I just did a quick Google search, man, like people mauled to death by lions. And on Google, I saw page after page after page after page after page of folks getting mauled by their pet lion or tiger. And just to give some more context, I watched the new Lion King last night with my kids, and I saw a little beautiful Simba. And Simba was such a cute little lion cub. But when Simba get old, Simba remember how to kill people, don't he? All right? So my thing is, what do you expect when you pet your sin and when it is fully grown and that desire is birthed in your heart? It is going to kill you. I mean, literally, I saw one article. There was a little dude in India decided he was going to jump in this line enclosure at the zoo to take a selfie with the line. There are many Christians out there taking selfies with their sin. Going to the club taking pictures with their friend, and obviously drunk in the picture, playing with their sins. Making deals with the devil because you don't want to be alone or make a deal to be with somebody else that's family that's really not your family. It's literally leading you to hell. So this guy climbs in this enclosure, and he takes a selfie with this lion, and the lion jumps on his butt and kills him. What did you expect? I take my kids to the zoo all the time. And I just see that line just looking at my kids and looking at me. I'm just walking back and forth, biceps all big, saying, I wish somebody would jump up in this bad boy. And then I can imagine a day he saw a little idiot climb up in that bad boy and jump up in that sucker. And he is getting a chance to do what he was created to do, and that's kill. That's what sin does in our life. When you're, when you're birthing, when you're playing with the relationship outside of your wife, what do you think is going to happen when your wife discovers it or it truly blows up? It leads to death. When you've been years and years and years of driving off in this dope addiction, what do you think it's going to lead to? Eventually, it's probably going to lead to physical death. I had this run in my family. My uncle, he died from it. It leads to death. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 7 through 9 says, Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls, prowls around like a roaring lion. There it is. Looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Stand firm in the faith. Is what the Bible says. Resist him. Don't give in to him. Resist him. Stand firm in your faith. Understand, how do you, how do you fight the devil anyway? You fight him with spiritual things. You have to learn how to read your word. You know, when, when, when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, what did he do? My man was quoting scripture. 
It's kind of hard to quote Scripture if we don't know Scripture. We have to begin to study His Word and feed our spirits. So as we continue moving on, remember this book is written towards believers because Paul knows that there's a war going on for each one of your souls. The devil is a lion looking to devour each one of you. Connection Church, when you said yes to Jesus, understand that you were literally transferred from the control of Satan into the control of Jesus Christ. And when you do that, a target is placed on your back. Satan wants to keep you from advancing the kingdom. Satan wants to keep you husbands from leading your wives and children in a way that's glorifying to God. He wants to keep you from making impact on the kingdom. So I'm asking you and I'm begging you right now, do not court your sin. For my young folks in the room, do not date your sin. Cut it off, kill it, and let's keep it moving. John Owen said a quote that sounded like this. This is what it says. He says, you will either be killing sin or it will be killing you. You're wondering why you don't have peace because you're trying to find your peace in the sin. It's killing you, actually. It's like drinking a sweet poison is what it is. Joshua 24, 15 says, But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are now living. But as for me and my house, the Bible says, we will serve the Lord. Let that be our cry tonight or today, that we leave this room, that we will serve the Lord. And we will do what we are called to do for the sake of our communities, for the sake of the mission of God that you were all created for. Connection Church, make a decision who you're going to serve today. If you're going to serve the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, if you're going to serve your Lord Jesus, then let us put our faith where our mouth is. I take it a step further. Let us put our faith where our feet is and begin to leave these walls and begin to engage a world that is desperate and dying for the good news of Jesus Christ. Because at the end of the day, we are all on a journey. When you say yes to Jesus, your seat is secure for all of eternity, which is a beautiful thing. But we're not there yet. We're justified. That's beautiful. But now we have to walk. This thing is called a process called sanctification, growing into the image of Christ, all right? I feel like there are so many Christians that are still resting on the coattails of their past success in Christianity. For the older people in the room, maybe you, you see these young guys up here on fire for the things of God. He's like, I used to be like that back in the day. No, there's no back in the day. What you're doing now? Because there's still, as long as there's still breath in our lungs, God still has things for us to do. You don't hit retirement until you get to heaven. God still has things for every one of us to do in this room. Something I want to hit on before I move on. Satan isn't scared of a church that gathers on Sunday. He isn't scared that we come and we worship. He isn't scared that when you raise your hands and tears fall from your eyes, that does not scare Satan. We start striking a blow to Satan when we realize what we've been called to do and we leave these seats and we go outside this community and we begin to evangelize this community. When we get tired of seeing the darkness that rules our community and we say, not on our watch, I'm tired of seeing souls go to hell. If their community is going to go to hell, they're going to go to hell over my dead body because I'm going to lay in the middle of it. I'm going to teach them the good news of Jesus. I believe the American Church Connection Church has been dormant for way too long. It's time to take the pacifiers out of our mouth and begin to do what we were called to do. We're participating in the most urgent thing in all of the world. Is God sovereign? Yes, but understand this. We were purposed in God to go beat hell down in the name of Jesus. So my application question before moving on, 
What sin? Everybody, think, think eternally right now. What sin are you courting your life that needs to be cut off? Some of these things can be good things that have become God things. What thing are you courting? What sin are you petting in your life that need to be cut off? It leads me to my second point. If you're taking notes, it sounds like this. It says, you resemble what you worship. You will resemble what you worship. Or better yet, you resemble what you are enslaved to. Romans chapter 6 verse 17 says, But thanks be to God that you used to be slaves of sin. You have come to obey from your heart the pattern or teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. So at this point, Paul has been showing Christians that you have a choice. You either be slave to your sin or you be slave to righteousness, right? But we must realize there is no middle road. We all serve somebody. And the danger is we have to realize that people still may be Christians and still offer themselves up to sin. Then he goes on to Romans chapter 6, 19 says, I am using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and the ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. When you were slaves of sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from those things that you are now ashamed of? These things result in death, result in death. One of the things I've always heard Pastor Buck tell me early on when he was a disciple of me at Chick-fil-A, he says, AJ, sin always overpromises but underdelivers. And this is what I believe that Paul meant when he said in verse 21, what benefit did you reap from the things that you are now ashamed of, those things that now result in death? So for people that were, I was one of those guys that was somewhat radically saved, if you know what I mean. I was living like hell on earth, and then I met Jesus, and he changed everything for me. And when I think of those things that I used to live in, I'm ashamed of those things. When I think of what God's rescued me from, when I raise my hand, I don't care who's from my left, who's to my right. I raise my hand, I worship God because you don't know what he rescued me from. And when you understand that, you have a reason to what I call raise a hallelujah, if that makes sense. Because when you're enslaved to your sin, you may get some type of short-term pleasure or satisfaction, but that short-term pleasure that you're looking for will always lead to death. It's like eating cotton candy. It looks good on the outside, but when you put it in your mouth, it disappears. It has no nutritional value. I mean, just think about this. We aren't perfect, all right? We all fall short. When we were saved, our seat's secure for all of eternity, but we have to walk on this journey. And then as you walk on this journey, I know there are many Christians here that you have screwed up royally along the way. I know I have. Though we're saved by grace through faith, there's still consequences to our sin. There were things that I allowed to sneak into my marriage that reap destruction when it finally fleshed itself out. There's consequences to our sin. I want you to see that today. Praise God for his restoration power in my life and my marriage because I shouldn't stand here today preaching this sermon because of some of the things I've done. Praise God for his provision. But moving on, let's just, I had to look it up. Let's look up affairs, for example. You know, I never heard, as I disciple men and I meet with men and whatnot, I never seen a man wake up one day and say, look at the sunshine, look at the trees, the birds are chirping. I'm going to screw up my marriage today. All right? That's not a thing that's said, but yet it still happens, right? No man ever woke up and says, today is a mighty fine day to screw something up. Let me screw up my marriage, right? So I did some research, and a quick Google research has shown me that 22% of Christians either have had an affair or will. 
That's almost one point four. I mean, that's almost one in every four Christians would probably either have an affair or, or possibly already had one. That's a very disheartening statistic. But how does this happen? I believe it's a direct result of us not fighting our sin. It means we have allowed a door to be cracked in our home, into our heart, and when that door is cracked, Satan will come right up in that bad boy, and you're going to have to, you're gonna have to, it's going to be an act of God to get him evicted out. There is a war for your soul, and Satan is prowling around your house. He's looking for a way in, looking for an open window, looking for an open door. Make sure you shut those doors in Jesus' name. I was talking to this pastor, Stanley Lane, who's a Wilson County church planner. I was talking to Stanley last week about my message, trying to figure out where to go. And he says, AJ, think about this right here. He says, what you discipline will be your desire. I said, ooh, that's good. Let me steal that one. What you discipline will be your desire. Listen to me, Connection Church. If you continue to make it a discipline to continue and invest in a relationship that's not your wife, an unholy desire will be, will be the result. If you make it a discipline to watch pornography, an unholy desire to commit adultery will be birth or do other things. If you make it a, a, disciple, a discipline to go on social media and like pictures of women that ain't your wife, an unholy desire will be birth. For the ones that are radically saved, what benefit did you reap when you live, when you see the things that you're now ashamed of? Nothing. It led to change. It led to baggage. It led to bondage. Living in guilt. Living in shame. And then when you get to that place of living in guilt and shame and dragging that baggage, that's when Satan starts to whisper in your ear, you can never be used by God. Oh man, I can't come to that church. Man, that church will burn down as soon as I walk through the doors. I've heard that many a times. I got to clean myself up before I go to God and you go to trying to modify behavior. But Christianity is not about behavior modification. It's about heart transformation, right? I mean, if that's you here today and you're struggling with that and maybe it was everything you could do to get through the door, I'm going to tell you something. There is freedom at the foot of the cross. There is forgiveness at the foot of the cross. I'm a walking example of that. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, is what the Bible says. But my question is right now, James 5.16 says, confess your sins to one another and confess it to God. Confess your sins to one another. A prayer for a righteous person is powerful and effective. If you're struggling in sin, come down to this altar and you get yourself right with the Lord. Repentance is a beautiful thing. I don't know why the church looks at repentance so negatively all the time. You know what repentance does? It puts your heart back in alignment with God. That's a good thing. Because there are some sins I commit that I don't even realize I committed that today. Pretty sure there's some I commit on the way to church this morning when I was speeding probably. All right? Repentance is a beautiful thing in the eyes of a believer, right? That's when our heart comes back in alignment with God. But there's an example I want to talk through because what you make a discipline is going to be your desire. I use this, this example. It's such an elementary example, but it's such a good one. Everyone in here is born into sin. Do y'all understand that? So that means by nature you deserve God's wrath. So imagine that as being born with a dog in your heart called flesh dog. Everyone in here was born with a dog in their heart called the flesh dog, right? And, what, and that flesh dog is ruled by sin. It feeds on sin. What you will see lived out in your life is a fruit of the flesh dog being fed for your whole life. But then at the moment of salvation, another dog is introduced into your heart, and it's called the spirit dog. But there's only one issue with that spirit dog. It's a puppy. So you got a full-grown adult flesh pit bull over here, and you got a little chihuahua puppy. All right? But what do you got to do to make that dog grow? You got to feed it. 
You got to give it milk to start off with. You got to give it a solid food, and you got to train that dog. And eventually, as you continue to train that dog called the spirit dog, that spirit dog will overpower the flesh dog, and what you will see fleshed out in your life will begin to be fruits of the spirit. So Christian, use this as a litmus test to test where are you at right now? Which dog are you feeding? Are we in our work? How many times do you feed your body every week? Some people eat three, four times. Jake, how many times do you eat a day? Twenty? I think he just eats raw chicken breast and goes to the gym all day long. With that being said, if we feed our bodies three to four or five times a day, why do we feed our spirits only once on Sunday? And then expect when, 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 when mess breaks loose in, my, loose in my life and wonder why I don't have power or authority over it, because you don't even know what authority you do have because you haven't been in the Word. Get yourself in community. Get yourself in a church. Get yourself in small group or discipleship group. You will not be disappointed. I promise you on that. So ask yourself this question. What dog are you feeding? Verse 22 says, Now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness. The result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, this is a verse I hear so many times in Christian circles, but it's one of those verses that we love quoting to non-Christians. But remember what this book is written to. It's written to Christians, right? So understand something before I say this next one. If you're a believer in this room and you have truly given your life to Christ, you cannot lose your salvation. I'm going to tell you a healthy way to look at this. I don't believe in once saved, always saved. I believe in once saved, forever following. Just like a, a going in a master's class and you pursuing your master's degree, but you never graduate. You're always pursuing. That should be your relationship with Christ till you get to heaven and graduate. All right? You're always pursuing Christ. But here's the issue. The penalty of sin is the same, though. If we act on sin, it will lead to a loss of joy because it separates you from fellowship with God. Tony Evans made a great statement. He says, when a believer acts on sin, we get our rightful wages. This is the wages of acting on your sin. It says it leads to weakness. It leads to sickness. Shame. Guilt. Meaninglessness. I don't know if that's a word or not. And death. So when you act on sin, I want you to understand today that it will not fulfill you but what does it mean that sin leads to death is what I want to know. What does it mean that sin leads to death? For some odd reason, I'm on this animal kick today. And if y'all know, I got three boys. I got a nine-year-old, I got a, a four-year-old, and I think a 14 or 15-month-old. Kylie, don't kill me. Um, with that being said, my son has a love, for, a love of weird animals, if that makes sense. I mean, just two and a half years ago, he got put in the hospital from kissing his pet snapping turtle, which is weird. And he gets salmonella. He was in the hospital for three or four days because of that forsaken turtle. We have koi at our house. We used to have a bearded dragon. That bad boy got that big, and he was the pickiest eater I've ever seen. You had to feed him dubia roaches by hand. If you wouldn't feed it by hand, he wouldn't eat it. Some people were trying to get rid of roaches. I was raising them for this habit of my kid of loving reptiles, right? At one point, we had a multiple different array of frogs. We had a bullfrog that was about... Look like a three-pound bullfrog. Never seen a bullfrog that big. I remember when Buddy Fordham, he takes Ezra and all these redneck things they do together. That's why my boy's so country. They go bullfrog hunting. They catch their bullfrogs, and he had three of them in a bucket. He had this big three-pound bullfrog in a bucket with some other decent-sized bullfrog. I was coming there that day to pick Ezra up, and I was going to see what kind of bullfrogs they caught. He was so happy to run out there to that bucket and say, AJ, Daddy, look at our bullfrogs. And there was, where there was once three, there's now two. That three-pound bullfrog swallowed a hold of the other one. His belly was like to pop, right? We had that thing in our house. Imagine that. 
I'm to the point now, if I see a toad hopping towards my house, I pick that bad boy and I chunk him in the neighbor's yard and tell him, if you know what's best for you, there's a prison in my carport and you're probably going to die there. <laughs> Literal prison. Well, for Christmas one year, my son had this obsession that he wanted to get a, a, a snake, which my daddy, he hated me for that. A snake, a serpent is what my daddy calls it. He watches this guy called BHB Reptiles on YouTube, and this guy raises all these ball pythons. And they're, I mean, colors, I never even thought ball pythons could be that pretty, to be honest with you, if I can say that word. Like lavender colored, yellow, all this stuff. Well, Ezra has in his mind, he's going to get asked for Christmas for this, uh, this ball python. And Kylie was like, we're not getting a snake, we're not getting a snake. I wanted a dog. We couldn't get a normal dog. But long story short, we end up getting ordering this python, and they shipped this bad boy from Michigan all the way down to Dublin. I'm going to show you a video real quick. That probably will set the scene for the story I'm about to tell. All right, you can cut it. The snake, before I tell this story, because I screwed it up in the first service, the snake is still alive. All right. So that day that snake arrived in my house, that black guy had no idea what he had in that box. And I told him it was a snake in that box. He says, AJ, we run from animals, not carry them to people. Um, that's why white folks get killed by lions all the time. Black folks, we run. <laughs> we get bit in the butt by them. But with that being said, um, Ezra knew this snake was going to fulfill his every need, right? He, he stayed out of school that day just to make sure he was home when he received the snake. Months earlier, we went to a place and we found a tank, and he, he researched all these things on how to take care of the snake, the heating pad that you got to bolt to the bottom of, what type of rats you got to feed this bad boy, and how to get him to eat frozen thawed rats and all these things. He researched all that stuff because he knew that snake was going to fulfill his every need. That day when that snake was on the way to my house, he checked my phone 30 times waiting, wondering what city that snake was in. Because he knew that bad boy was coming. He was ready to receive that snake because that snake was going to fulfill that void he'd been trying to seek in his heart. The same void that we all have, that we, that's why we go to other things other than snakes, all right, to fill that void in our heart. So with that being said, imagine this story right here. Let's rewrite the story a little bit. I reached my hand in that bag. And as I'm, if y'all could see what Ezra was doing, y'all saw the smile on his face in that video. Ezra was just a geek. He was geeking out on the side over there with that snake. Imagine, and the most nerve-wracking thing is reaching your hand in a bag with a snake you've never seen before. So as I'm reaching my hand down that bag to pull that snake out, imagine I do pull out a ball python, but it's dead. What do you think would be Ezra's immediate response to that if that snake was dead? He will cry. He will be heartbroken. He will hurt. It wouldn't satisfy him, right? That's the same thing sin does in our life when we act on it. When you pursue that relationship or whatever it may be, as soon as you get done, the shame that's on the other side of that, it's the same way that Ezra would have had that snake would have died when it got here. We just spent $400 on that bad boy and he died right before he got here, right? We have to remember, man, what are we worshiping? That sin, that, that, that snake that Ezra thought was going to fulfill him, it underdelivered. That sin that you're pursuing, it's going to underdeliver. It's not going to satisfy you. Connection Church, remember, we've grown tremendously since we've been here. I remember we had 42 seats, and now we had to go to two services and have to buy a building. But as I look in Jesus' ministry, as his, as his following, as his leadership began to grow, he began to do more of what I call step on toes. And I think we're at a point in this church that it's time for some toes to get stepped on, especially with our men. 
If you are a follower of Christ and you are saved, you cannot love God and have your sin. You cannot. Your relationship to sin must change. How can you stay in that habitual sin any longer if it breaks the heart of God? So as we finish up this sermon and the worship team comes back up, my next question to Connection Church is, what are you enslaved to? What are you enslaved to? Because worship has been on the heart of Buck for a very long time now. And one of the things about worship is you will be enslaved, you will be enslaved to what you worship. And there are two things I believe, for time's sake, I'm running out of time, for time's sake, there are two things I feel that a lot of people are enslaved to. There's a lot more things, but these are the top two in my, in my opinion. One is money. Let's talk about money for a second. A litmus test to test what you worship, check your checkbook. Check your bank account. Because what you probably spend most of your money on is probably what you worship. All right? And it's a, it's a sobering truth when you look at that. Where is my money going? It's probably going to the thing that you worship. Let me tell you something about money. It's an excellent, sa- it's an excellent servant, but it's a lousy savior. Money is an excellent servant, but a lousy savior for, for many of us. Think on this. What do you run to when fear hits? When fear of the future hits, what do you run to? And this is talking to me right now. A lot of times we run to our money instead of running to Jesus. Luke chapter 9, verses 1 through 3 says, When Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He told them, take nothing for the journey. No staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no shirt. I mean, I think about this right here. If God ordered it up, he got the money to pay for it. Even when coming into full-time ministry, the first thing that I hit was, can I take the pay cut? If God's called me to this, how can I worry about money? How can I worry about my future? Because part of the things that if, I, if I'm worrying about that, there's going to be things I'm going to lose. But hey, did I really need them in the first place? I was talking to a buddy this week, man. We detail cars together, a real close friend of mine. I saw him on Facebook one day. He polished a pontoon boat for a... I think the guy that owned the pontoon boat was actually here. <laughs> he polished them pontoon. Them bad boy was shiny, and I ain't never seen nothing so shiny in my life. Black folk, we love chrome. So I, I started, I, so I had to reach out to this guy and say, hey man, what did you use to, to polish them pontoons, man? You did a good job on that boat, man. That was awesome. And we began to build this beautiful, beautiful, beautiful friendship. But this past few months, he's been having a tough time. There been some things popping up. He's lost some things. And then he called me this week, man. And I told him, I said, brother, I'm having a hard time landing a plane on my sermon. He says, AJ, I think I got something for you. He went to share me some things of what God's been doing in his life. And this is what a quote he said I want everybody to hear. Brett Sanford told me this right here. He says, AJ, when I thought I lost everything, God made me realize that I didn't lose everything. I gained everything. God has been speaking to that boy. And there's an excitement that's been birthed in his heart of what God is going to do through him. But sometimes you got to get to a place where you got to lay your life down. Because you will find Jesus when you lay yours down, I promise you. I believe the reason for many of us, though, we pick lousy saviors is because we cannot trust God. Now, I'm asking you right now, don't, don't give your allegiance to a lousy savior. For many of us, we can't be generous with our money because we're enslaved to things that we pursue that we think will fulfill us. 
I'm not saying you can't have nice things. That's not what I'm saying. If you have nice cars and yet you still can be generous with your money, by all means, drive that bad boy. But if you can't be generous and help people and, and, and help push God's kingdom forward because you're a slave to a car payment, then that is a problem, my friend. We got a question, what do I truly worship? Do I worship trying to keep up with the Joneses or do I worship God? The second thing that keeps us enslaved, and this is talking to men right now, is our pride. Men, we are called to be the spiritual leaders of our home. We are the ones called to set the spiritual thermostats of our home. Being a man is not about being tough. Being a man is not about forcing yourself to bring your kids or your wife to church, though. That is a start. It's not about having a big income job. I believe it's found in this statement right here. Don't show me how you work. Show me how you worship. You want to know what made King David who wrote most of the majority of Psalms, and, and you talk about his life, the Bible says he was a man after God's own heart. What made King David a man? It wasn't that he killed Goliath. It wasn't that when he was a shepherd boy, he took a lion and had it killed in a bear and killed a bear. That, was, that had nothing to do with it. My man David was a man who knew how to cry out to God. He was a man that knew how to get in the presence of God. There's a certain psalm that David is on the run from his son, and he's in a desert, and he says in the scripture, in a dry and parched land, my soul longs for you. My whole body thirsts for you. My man is thirsting to death, and he is worshiping God. That's what made King David a man. My man knew what it was like to, re to repent sin. You want to know the mark of a healthy Christian is repentance. How often are you repenting of your sin? As men, we should be the lead repenters in our household for the sake of our wives and for the sake of our kids. Because they're following your example as well. And I'm challenging each one of you tonight, or today, as I land a plane on this sermon, there are many men sitting in this room right now. I challenge you to come down to this altar after I get done preaching, and you begin to lay your life down to Christ. For the sake of your family, for the sake of this, this community that we're in, for the sake of the mission that God called you to, come down to this altar and pray, God, show me what sin am I holding on to that's keeping me from being effective in the kingdom. Men, you do not want to be the spiritual lid on your household. We got to learn how to drop our pride. I was just talking to some women this week, and they were telling me, AJ, I really want to come down and pray at the altar, but I won't go because my husband won't go with me. Could it be that there are men that are truly keeping their wives from meeting Jesus Christ because they don't want to let go of their pride? That your kid could be going to accept Jesus Christ and going into his kingdom, but because you don't want to lay your pride down, you are being the lid on what your kid can even experience. Don't be the lid on your, spirit, your house's spiritual growth. Men, the gospel is offensive. I know it is. And if this message is offensive to you and you feel like this is calling you out, then maybe you need a question to ask God, God, why am I feeling this way in my heart? What is this feeling that's welling up in my heart? God, come down to this altar and pray to God. God, show me what it is that I'm feeling. God, I don't want to feel this way. Because if you're feeling that way, that something's wrong, it might be because something is wrong. It's time for us to step up and take the pacifiers out of our mouth and beat hell down in the name of Jesus, I promise you. As we finish up right now, i got a little example I want to, an illustration I want to show. When Satan comes to you, you know what he doesn't do? He doesn't say, come follow me and I'll give you these chains. And he follows you around saying, follow me and I'll give you these chains. I'll give you these chains. That's not appealing, is it? 
Let me tell you what Satan does. He offers you choices. I'm going to keep watching pornography at night. I'm going to keep fronting with a girl that's not my wife. Keep going to the bar, hanging out with my buddies that I don't need to be hanging out with. And you just keep offering us choice after choice after choice after choice. And for me, it was a lifetime of 26 years of bad choices. This is one chain I probably dragged about 16 million of them is what it felt like when I came to faith in Christ. And there are many of you right now that are walking in here and you feel the weight of these chains as I hold them in my hands. You know exactly what I'm talking about. You know the bondage that you're walking in here to. As we're talking about slaves, you know what you're enslaved to. But my Bible says that my God is a chain breaker. He is a way maker. I don't know what you walked up in here with today, but my God is sufficient to meet your every need. I'm telling you right now, men, women, whoever it may be, come down to this altar and lay it down at the foot of Jesus Christ. Because if you want to find freedom for what you're in, it's going to be found when you lay your life down. I promise you on that. Everybody bow your heads. Revelation 3, verse 20 reads like this. I want everybody to hear this. Imagine this is Jesus speaking to you. And if you're here right now and you feel something tugging on your heart, Maybe that's you realizing that, hey, I don't truly have a relationship with God right now. I was fooling myself for so long. I don't truly know who Jesus is. Imagine this is Jesus speaking right to you. And this is what he says. He says, here I am. I stand at the door and I knock. He's knocking at your door right now. He says, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. Just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. For the one that needs salvation right now, hear what Jesus is trying to say to you. He's knocking at your heart. He's asking all you do, will you please respond? So if you're in this moment, you realize that, hey, I realize today I'm enslaved to my sin. I don't have a relationship with Jesus. Would you lift your hand? We got one right here. Is there anybody else? Keep your hand raised high so they can see you. They got some material they need to give to you. Is there anybody else that want to accept Jesus Christ for the very first time? Amen, church. Can we celebrate? Two, two people just entered the kingdom. With your head still bowed for the ones that raised their hand, well, I want to speak to you right now. You were not saved by saying a prayer that we're going to say in a second. You were saved when you responded to the good news of Jesus Christ. I believe the minute you were saved was the minute you lifted your hand in the sky. Because when the gospels preach, it promotes a response, right? So now that you have a relationship with God, that connection has been made, I just want to assist you with a prayer to your Heavenly Father for the very first time. It should go something like this. Repeat after me. Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. A sinner in need of a Savior. I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die on a cross for my sins. He was fully God, yet fully man. He was buried and raised on the third day with all power in his hands. 
I repent of my sin and I turn to you. Come into my heart and make it new and declare it over your life today. I'm saved. I'm saved. Praise God, I'm saved. Everybody, can we celebrate? Last thing before I sit down. I have to love people enough to share hard truth with them. This message was hard, but it was equally hard on me as I was preparing it this week because God was kicking me in the face the whole time I was preaching it. But I will be down here at this altar, and I challenge every man in this room, come down here and start today. There are literally women who, who want to come to the altar, but they won't come because their husbands won't come with them. Do not be the lid on your, your household spiritual growth. And that's the most loving thing I can say at this moment. Love you guys. Thanks for tuning in to the Connection Church Dublin Sermon Podcast. We pray that this message stirred your affections for Jesus. We would love for you to subscribe to the podcast and share it with others. For more information about our church and other resources, please visit ConnectionDublin.com.